Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hello to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everybody. Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists and we just love everything that has to do with cars. Well, I don't know. Love is a pretty strong word. Would you say love, Ben? I don't understand how a man and a woman and a machine could enter into a legal agreement that could be loosely described as loving. Well, that's why there's insurance. So me and Ben talk about all of these things and more uh, on this podcast, and we have some really cool stuff to talk about today, especially Ben, who's got probably one of the most gorgeous cars um, available on the market today. Ben, what do you, what are you driving right now? Well, it, it actually, it's not right now, but it was this week and last week. I had the Lexus LC Twins, the 500 and the 500H in my driveway and i hadn't driven either of these cars since february when they were first launched so i was pretty excited to get them in kind of a real world scenario and and see how they fit uh when i wasn't in a you know when i first drove them i was in hawaii and i'd never been to hawaii and it's gorgeous there and you're overwhelmed by all of the natural beauty and the car is actually really good so when you come to montreal like eight months later and it's dark all the time and it's raining (laughs) and 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 you're starting to wonder why you're still alive and why what your purpose is and why you you know you bear this driving <laughs> okay, constant right. cold. Just, look, you're gonna have to get to the car already. <laughs> so the car is pretty good, as I mentioned, um, but uh, it was definitely a different experience. So the the the, the Lexus LC500 was the one I drove first. And the LC500 is it's powered by a V8. It's got just under 500 horsepower. I think it's 471. It's a five-liter engine, and it's essentially very similar to the engines you'd find in the RCF or the GSF or way back in the day the ISF. It's an evolution of those motors, and it's it's really uh, old school in a way. I mean, it's a high-tech engine, but what I mean is. The LC is a is a big luxury coupe, and traditionally, for the last I don't know decade, big luxury coupes have been the province of the Germans. Am I am I right? Yeah, I mean you're talking about the items like the six series and the S class coupe and the CL. I guess uh, maybe Audi doesn't quite have something like that, do they? No, Audi doesn't really have anything like that right now. That's true. Uh, so there's the it's a small small segment. I mean, a long time ago, Cadillac had the XLR, which was kind of their version of that and nobody really was into it so it didn't last very long in the market uh but lexus has never had a car like this they've never they they had uh, something in the 90s the sc300 and the sc400 which were luxury coupes they weren't full size they were i guess they were full size for the era this it would seem small now but mm-hmm. uh those were they weren't you know hundred thousand dollar cars they were uh like like the lc is it starts just under a hundred thousand i think at ninety two thousand dollars um, they were more affordable, and you know they had a, a wide range of engine choices, or wider range. at a six, he had a V8. Anyway, the point I'm trying okay. to make is, the Germans have gone to uh, forced induction for pretty much all of their high performance needs. So mm-hmm. that that six the 650, you're looking at a turbocharged V8. If you're looking at the the S class, again, it's a turbocharged V8 for the coupe. But Lexus is the only company with this naturally aspirated, sonorous, amazing-sounding five-liter uh, eight-cylinder engine, and mm-hmm. it, it's oh, uh, another car I'd like to include in the same kind of category as the cars we're discussing is the Porsche 911, mm-hmm. because I okay. think I think there are versions of the 911, perhaps the GTS, that 
is it's it's a grand touring car more than a sports car, which is what the the Lexus is and the the other Germans that I mentioned. Uh, obviously, the 911 also has more performance potential. It's lighter than these cars, but it's the same kind of idea. So again, that's another forced induction car at this point. Mm-hmm. So, so you've got this uh, you've got this naturally aspirated V8 coupe from Lexus, where there's no other naturally aspirated. V8 um, in the class. And in fact, when you bring up the Porsche, it's a six-cylinder as well, right? Yeah, and uh, I mean, you go to Jaguar, if you're looking at like the F-Type R, it's another mm-hmm. supercharged car. Uh, Cat- uh, Corvette doesn't quite make the cut. It's not nearly as luxurious as any of the cars that we've mentioned, so I, I don't include it in in the discussion. But uh, what's cool is that Lexus has made... The reason I'm, I'm going on and on and on about this, and I apologize for the droning, is this car is really different. It is nothing like anything the Germans make. It's nothing like the F-Type. It has a personality all of its own, and it's not afraid to be different. And that's something I really appreciate about the car, because Lexus really took a risk with this car. They gave it styling that's well outside the comfort zone for what I think most Lexus buyers are used to. I know that Lexus has been shoveling this big uh, trapezoidal front end on most of their cars for the last five, six years, but the LC, it, it, it's a, it atta- attracts attention no matter where you go. Mm-hmm. It is not an anonymous car. And uh, the only other time Lexus has kind of gone in this direction has been with the LFA, which was a very low-production supercar that they made, oh, I want to say, in 2008 or 2009. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. And that car was extremely expensive, very limited production. It had a Formula One-derived V10, and Not also naturally aspirated in that case, right? Also naturally aspirated, very true. But that was a car that was, it was kind of strange. They had you couldn't buy it; you had to lease it. And I think at the end of the lease, Lexus reserved the right to buy it from you, or if you wanted to transfer it, they had first right of refusal. They were trying to control the uh, mm-hmm. the aftermarket on the secondary market on the car, and it was a complicated experience. But the the LC is just it's a pure grand touring car that looks gorgeous. It's super comfortable. It has this great motor. And aside from the fact that it has the world's worst infotainment system, like every Lexus model out there, there's really nothing to complain about with the car. Uh, it's it's such an individual vehicle. I, I really applaud their decision to go this direction. Do you think there's um, any lessons that they learned from? I think I've mentioned this to you in the past with the uh, with the first drive of the LC. Now you've had it for um, a, a more extended period of time, I suppose. And I want to know if there's anything that they've, you know, they they've put their their DNA in this car when it came from the LFA and then some of the other the other aspects of the Toyota and Lexus uh, brand. Right. Yeah, well, it's it's certainly, you know, it, it doesn't have the reflexes of a sports car and uh, I don't expect it to. I think some people might because of how it looks. But it's it's, it's a 4,200 pound car, first of all. So it's fairly heavy. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, got a back seat. And it has a weird 10-speed automatic transmission where top speed for the car, I think, is 168, 167 miles an hour. And it tops out in fifth gear. Like, okay. The other gears are essentially there for fuel mileage. They're so, all overdrive, but there's five kind of yeah. Gears. It's kind of it's kind of a weird situation. Like it's 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 an unusual. It's just the way the gearing works in the transmission. That's that's how it is. I mean, theoretically, like I think the car is drag limited to like 300 miles an hour. So if you had like right. a long enough stretch of road, you could probably find that. You know, if you put a booster on the back. But uh, <laughs> the only the only you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the Lexus DNA because there's a bunch of stuff in the car that's very very Lexus, like mm-hmm. the 
the, I, I mentioned the infotainment system. It's got that. Uh, this one has the touchpad instead of the the mouse. Mm-hmm. Both of them are horrible. But I if, think the touch. I think the touchpad is worse. It is worse because you can actually set the. It has a force feedback feature on yeah. it where it will bump your finger to let you know you've made a selection on the screen, and you can set it so high that it will bounce your finger off the <laughs> off the pad. <laughs> Completely useless. Uh, the graphics aren't great either. It's so strange because Lexus is so good at so many other things, and then there's just this huge glaring. They've, they've stuck with this touchpad for so long. I want to say four or five years now, mm-hmm. and I mean it's not getting better. <laughs> you know. Um, anyway, but there's a, also like other very Lexusy things, like the drive modes for the car. There's there's eco, normals, comfort, sport, and sport plus, and you access them via this dial. That's mm-hmm. on the the side of the gauge cluster, just in front of the driver, and you turn it in one direction. Oh yeah, for... super Lexus. I mean, super LFA like. Yeah, so it's like turn up for sporty, turn down for less sporty. But then on the other side of the gauge cluster, there's another dial. Oh. That's <laughs> and that dial, you turn. Well, you turn it for snow mode, which I had to use this okay. week when I was driving the car. But there's also there's a button you can push. And if you push the button, it turns off stability control. Mm. And and it's it's not obvious whether it's on or off. Like, it'll tell you when you've turned it off. But then if you push it again, it doesn't tell you that it's back on. But if you push <laughs> it again, it tells you that it's off again. So it's like, <laughs> I was always uneasy because I was, I was trying to get to snow mode and I accidentally pushed it. Uh, but anyway, that's super Lexus. Like, there's no need for those to be there. It's It could be a button on the console. But they're like, nah, put them up there. It's People will reach. It's fine. Um there's a there's also the interior is it's it's clean it doesn't come across as overly opulent but uh it's it's comforting it's 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 a nice it's a very nice car it's, it, there's really I, I don't have any complaints about the vehicle and mm-hmm. driving it every day it was super smooth uh if you put it in sport plus you get um like a more aggressive shift pattern from the transmission, obviously, and when you blip the thro- it'll blip the throttle when you downshift, and the exhaust sounds amazing. It's it's a really? great sounding car, and I absolutely a, that is such a that's so reminiscent of something that the LFA would have inspired, I would think. Well, it's 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 just so it's so well done. Like you don't have that that off boost turbo whoop that you have in all the other Grand mm-hmm. Touring cars. It's mm-hmm. it's it's so visceral. You feel attached to the car. It's it's not a car I would ever take to a racetrack. But it's a car I would drive to a racetrack to watch racing, <laughs> I guess. Uh, so I, all these great, you know, feels and vibes about the 500. And then I drove the 500H, again, a car I've already driven. I didn't have as much time with the car. Okay. But uh, there's it's, – it's a totally different experience because you end up with a car – visually, they're the same. Like, yeah. the, I, there's a hybrid badge, and that's pretty much it. You can even get all the sport package stuff with the hybrid, like the rear-wheel steering and the carbon fiber roof panel and all the, the wing and the stuff like that. So Lexus has done a really good job at making the only real difference between the vehicles the drivetrain. But what a difference it is, Sammy. Okay, tell, tell me about this. So it doesn't use a 10-speed automatic, I suppose. No, it uses something even weirder. Yes, I've heard about this. Are you I ready think I mentioned this? it back in the with the LS first drive, but I'm. I, what is the deal with this one again? It's it's a four speed traditional automatic with a mm-hmm. torque converter, plus a CVT. Yes, that like mimics kind of having ten gears. I think. Yeah, not, you can yeah. you can have ten gears if you want ten gears, but I don't really know what I want when I'm driving it. So it's it's got two electric motors and it's got a V6. The V6 puts out 295 horsepower, and I think altogether. It's 354 horsepower. But what's interesting about the hybrid is it's almost as fast as the V8 car in a straight line. I think it's like 
two tenths of a second slower to 60. I think the V8 okay. car does it in 4.4 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no launch control or anything on these cars. They're rear-wheel drive. Again, very, very different from every other Grand Touring car that's out there. Isn't that, have that, a- isn't that interesting? Because you're used to seeing all-wheel drive in these cars. Um, you're also kind of more used to seeing, uh, or you, we're getting more used to seeing uh, dual-clutch transmissions. Yes. And uh, this has neither of those kinds of uh, setups. <laughs> it has, like, the polar opposite of those setups. And, it, and again, this hybrid does not have a turbo either. It's a naturally no. aspirated hybrid, uh, a naturally aspirated V6 with a hybrid. And I think and, that's and, super neat. And nor is the hybrid a an all-wheel drive car. Like, they didn't make the electric motors on just the front axle, like you'd mm-hmm. see in, 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 in other, you know, high-performance, high-end uh, tours, but it, it, the reason why there's no all-wheel drive in these cars is there's no room. Mm-hmm. I mean, not really. I think if they really, really wanted to do it, I believe I, this is this is a hazy memory I'm having here of a conversation I had with the engineering team at Lexus when I drove the car initially, and that they had to make a choice whether they wanted to have the extremely low hood line that the car has, it, mm-hmm. and it is much lower than. Um, some other grand touring cars even sports cars they actually have to make the hood actually pops up in an accident to prevent the pedestrian who has been hit from rolling over the hood which is an important that's a big part of why cars are so visually chunky in the front now Mm -hmm. Uh, it's because of european pedestrian crash regulations but lexus was like no we want to preserve the form of the car so we're we're not going to bump it up for for space for all-wheel drive and we're not going to bump it up for the pedestrian stuff we're going to find another way around that and that's a purity of design that you don't really see with the competition Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I'm excited to to see how this thing, you know, how you feel about um, is it worth it to buy this hybrid car or is it just a, a play on the usual hybrid or Lexus owners who are typically aligned with the hybrid um, style of car? Well, Lexus has no illusions that anyone's going to buy the hybrid in quantity. It's yeah. the car is going to be low volume. They the, the weird part about driving the hybrid is you have this glorious attitude mm-hmm. from the styling of the car and you're driving around and then you're at a traffic light and you step on the gas and it's like silently pulling away from the light in electric mode. And mm-hmm. you're kind of like, womp, womp. Like, it's just, it's a very different experience. Even when you, if you hammer the gas, the V6 is, it's loud. They, they've done a good job of making sure you hear the engine and you know that you're in a, a sporty car. But with the weird CVT setup, there's times where if you're accelerating for quite a while, it just drones. Right, and it's and it's a semi-artificial drone as compared to the livelier V8 sound, which doesn't mm-hmm. sound fake at all. So it, the personalities are so totally different. I mean, I don't, I would not buy the hybrid car. It's in in the states. I think it's six thousand dollars more expensive. In Canada, mm-hmm. it's considerably more expensive. I think it's like something like sixteen thousand more. And uh, it's that car is there for the people you described earlier when you were saying people who are you know, long-time Lexus hybrid owners who want to own the ultimate Lexus hybrid. And I think this or the LS that you drove are examples of what the ultimate Lexus hybrid would be. Do you know how much this car starts at the LC? Sorry, you said the LC500 and the LC500H. How much are they? The LC500 is 92000 and the 500H is uh, just above 96000 Okay. So I know it's maybe, you know, it's a bit presumptuous to suggest that people who would um, – who could afford these things might not care so much about a huge difference in annual fuel cost, but the LC500H gets 30 miles combined, 30 miles per gallon combined, and the V8 gets 19. That's a difference of a, of 11 miles and, per gallon combined. And there's abs- and no one cares. I, I guarantee I, you, I'm, just like, like you I said, said, yeah, just like but, you said, anyone who's buying a hundred thousand dollar car 
is not making the decision based on fuel economy. I'm sure maybe it's a factor, mm-hmm. but no one's like in the showroom looking at the two and being like, you know what? <laughs> I need I, those extra MPGs. <laughs> that's you know what? I think you might maybe maybe you're off base a tiny bit because I think you'd be looking at this car and saying, "Holy cow, it looks fantastic." And I can get this model for for with with uh, with that much improved fuel economy, and I think that might be a play because typically the people who who care about fuel economy and these are the typical Lexus buyers might be coming in here and they're looking at maybe more of a value play than somebody who just wants the hottest Mercedes and the hottest BMW or the hottest Porsche because those all have brands associated with them, and I think Lexus has this separate identity that could really um, appeal to to a different kind of buyer, and maybe the hybrid really has is is worth it to them and well, it has mean, that extra element. The price difference is substantial. So mm-hmm. you'd have to really want that fuel economy. You're not going to make up the price difference in the fuel economy. It's $6,000, you know, like I believe, or four, sorry, $4,000 between them in the States. But in Canada, it's it's $17,000. That's the difference. Right. So there's, uh, n- there's no one in Canada who's going to pay 20% more for the car. You're, you're, I think you're onto something there. But I just wanted to say, you know, I, I'm not 100% certain that because people who have the money to spend um, are typically good with budgets and might the budget of, a, of fuel might have something to do with it. And if they want a loud, showy, flashy luxury car, luxury coupe, um, they might be leaning a little bit to the to the hybrid. I can kind of see where well, if, where if you want a loud, from, flashy car, you're not going to get the hybrid because, <laughs> because you'll, it's you'll, no, yeah, you'll test drive it and you'll be like, Ugh, like what's going on? Like if you test drive those cars back to back and still choose the hybrid, it's because you were going to buy the hybrid the entire time. The, from the it's because that's what you want. It's not like, if you come in and you're waffling, the waffle goes like it flips way over onto the 500 side. Like it, it's that V. No, seriously, it's that's where the maple syrup is for the waffle. Okay. And is there any final final words you want to say or anything you've learned after driving these cars? Um, uh, for for a week or to driving this car for a week, anything that uh, stands out in your mind uh, differently than the first drive? Well, I I liked the hybrid more the first time I drove it. Mm-hmm. I don't it dislike left a, it. Left a better first impression. Yeah, I don't dislike it now, but I see much less of an argument for its existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's purely, I think, a Halo PR green play from Lexus, and that's fine. I can respect that, and they have to service their existing clientele who uh, who believe in that type. A vehicle. Um, the other thing I, I think about, thought about the most when I was driving it was, I could see myself owning it in several years when it's considerably less expensive, but still just as reliable as it was the day it rolled out of the factory. <laughs> because you really this, feel that you really feel that way. Oh yeah, it's it's a Lexus. It's not gonna. I mean, there are people who are still buying LS 400s from the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, it's these cars are going to age extremely well, and that's not something you can say about a single German competitor which are scary to own outside of warranty and which I would never recommend anyone buy on the used market without a warranty. But I mean, I'm, I mean, you're serious about that in the, in the sense that this car with its very, um, we're going to be able to look back on this in a couple of years and be like, yep, that was 2017 when Lexus was uh, trying to do something with its style. And uh, I wonder if it will age well or not um, in terms of styling. And then additionally, the driving dynamics and um, the the fuel economy of the V8. I'm really interested to hear how your week went with this. If you said that it was comfortable to, to drive around town, 
was it difficult to drive around town? I mean, you live in a, I mean, I don't want to call Montreal, uh, I don't want to say anything poorly about Montreal, but sometimes the roads can be a little rough uh, and can also be a little tight and navigation uh, has always proved to be a little tough for me in that city. But No, uh, it was fine. I mean, it's okay. not like a, it's not like an SUV. It's, it's a, it's a two door sport grand tour. It's not, okay. it's, it was fine. Okay, perfect. And fuel costs, was that, is that a detriment in any way? No, not okay. if you're in the market for this car. I mean, oh. what, what are you going to buy instead of this? Let's say you're looking at, like, Tudor Grand Touring cars. You're probably also looking at, like, Escalades and Range Rovers and, and that kind of thing. So fuel economy is, I really think, low on the list. I don't think anyone's buying this car to commute in. Mm-hmm. So it's I don't see it as being significant. I got to say, man, it is one of the best-looking cars on the market. Um, it is wild. It is something that Lexus and Toyota needed to do to shake up their their brand image in terms of yeah. actual image. Um, because we all know it as a reliable, safe choice. And to make something as wild and eye-catching as this is just... They did a good job, I think. And I wish they would do it in other areas of the market. I wish they would export this type of bravery in design to other vehicles. Uh, and I also like the fact that the LC is not traditionally attractive. It's not traditionally beautiful. It's It's different. It it looks a little weird from certain angles. It's got it it stands out. Uh, it doesn't look anything at all like any of its competitors. It's got yeah. like this swell, this swelling thing going on at the back. This like flare that like really is something to see. And pretty. it reminds me a little bit of the way that a a nine eleven a an all wheel drive nine eleven kind of like flares out at the back. You know what I mean? Well, you know what we were talking about a few weeks ago about the uh, the AMG GT. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a similar design philosophy with the the LC. I think these are both cars that kind of threw away the an- anonymity that people expect at this part of the market, or, or not not necessarily the anonymity, but the groupthink that that uh, has led a lot of that design. And uh, the GT is a much more raw car, mm-hmm. but visually, both of them stand out. And I think in the future there's going to be one more. Um car from the german automakers this is the bmw 8 series that will probably go up right head to head to this lc 500 and it will do it with the the same trends that we've been talking about it's going to have a turbocharged engine very likely and it'll probably be offered with all-wheel drive and it'll probably look a lot like a seven or a five yeah well based on the concept it might be a little a little bit more um stylish but we'll see what the final product is that's really cool i'm really uh, i can't wait to get one of these cars um for for some period of time and maybe even take them for a, a road trip but the cars that i tested and i i said that plurally uh i said the plural of that that's cars the vehicles i tested um are probably that do anything kind of vehicle and it's well those are well suited for long trips of course i'm talking about one of the most popular vehicles um in the in the industry right now this is crossovers i had four crossovers to test this week um two how do you how do you drive four cars at the same time well i have a i have a, i have a couple of friends over at auto guide who are helping me um manage and uh, and test all these vehicles throughout the throughout the week and uh, we also have a back-to-back testing day where we assess them uh, on the same route in the same way uh same conditions and it helps make things a little bit easier but uh, let me tell you which ones we had uh, we had two of the fan favorites. That's this, the Honda CRV and the Nissan Rogue. The Rogue, just so you know, is selling like mad. I think it's leading the the segment right now, um, and it's already outdoing it last year's uh, sales numbers. 
And then I also had two of the recently redesigned vehicles, that's the Volkswagen Tiguan and the Chevrolet Equinox. So I'm not going to bore you by talking about all of these cars um, in depth uh, for the next, I don't know what hour it would be. Because I just, I just tuned out I, as soon as you said SUV. I was like, oh. bam, I'm gone. Well, usually you and I can talk about two cars in a, in a podcast, and now I've got twice as many of that alone. So um, let me just break it down real quick. Um, the All these cars were fully loaded models. Um, I, I took a look at them with U.S. as-tested prices, and uh, the most expensive of the bunch was the Chevrolet Equinox, and the cheapest of the bunch was the Honda CR-V. Um, the most spacious um, also was a split between the CR-V and the uh, Rogue. See, that's interesting because the CRV is a two-row and the Rogue is a three-row. Can be equipped as a three-row. The model we had was definitely the two-row model. Was the um, Tiguan also a two-row model? Yeah, the Tiguan was also a two-row model. Let's talk about the Tiguan. I think you and I talked about it um, a while ago with your first drive. And now after having it for a week, um, this thing is this, – this thing. there needs to be some conversation going on with the Tiguan. It looks great. Um, and the first impression when you jump in, you've got this really nice infotainment system and that really cool virtual uh, cockpit, like this wicked digital gauge cluster. And then after a week of driving this car, I really fell out of love with it. It was it was loud. It was noisy. The drivetrain was really unrefined. It was changing gears unnecessarily and for and for no and to no effect. Like, I don't understand how an engine, um, especially a two liter turbo that uh, Volkswagen has been making for a long time, how it doesn't impress me in this application. It felt like it changed gear and I was barely going any faster than I was just a moment ago. And now it's making a lot more noise. Well, I think that the problem is these transmissions aren't these multi speed transmissions that we're seeing now, eight, 10, 11, 45, 16 gears. They're not being <laughs> built for performance. They're being built for fuel economy. Okay. And it didn't deliver the best. It did. It delivered the worst fuel economy of the group. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, it's, it's it's they're ruining driving they're, they can ruin a driving experience if they're not tuned properly for the vehicle and i think with the tiguan my opinion is that that engine is just not properly suited to a vehicle that size i mean the, the car got bigger and heavier and then they were just kind of like eh, we'll use the old drivetrain and it doesn't matter so much i do have a few other things to add about the car um it's stiff but i I will admit that um, it handles kind of nimbly for the like like a nimble or a more agile car for what uh, how big it actually is. Um, it seems really easy to spin around, um, like in a U-turn or or um, a parking lot, or like a reverse J-turn, like in the Rockford Files. I did not try that, not yet. Um, but the interior was a little disappointing. Actually, not a little, quite disappointing. Um, it feels like the same interior we've seen in Volkswagens, not just like last year or last generation, like. A while back like the there's nothing special about what's going on inside this car and at over thirty eight thousand dollars as tested uh us that's a pricey car for this for this segment yeah and it just doesn't do enough to 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 make anyone want to buy it and then speaking about price i had a chevrolet equinox that cost forty thousand dollars and was still lacking features like um lane lane keep assistance and uh adaptive cruise control Wow. 40 grand. Now, I'll admit this car does have some pretty funky... It left, as well, a really strong first impression. I got in it, and it had this two-tone butterscotch, like, like tan interior and black. And I was, like, immediate, like immediately, I was so impressed. I was like, wow, Chevrolet put some, threw, put some effort in here. Like, they, they made something that was 
that is going to make uh, is can really make a difference in the segment. And then after driving it for a little, a little bit again, I fell to the same conclusion that I did with the um, Tiguan. I'm like, wow, they missed the mark in terms of quality, in terms of uh, fit and finish. We had parts that were flexing and and creaking already on the vehicle, and that's that's sad, man. Like for a brand new car, um, was it just, was it a two liter car or one and a half liter? Car? It was a two liter car. So that was the that was the highlight of the car. It was the powertrain was actually really good. Um, it makes I think over 250 horsepower. Which is sweet. Um, How much does the Tiguan have? To uh, 180, 184 or 185 Ooh. or something? Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. You, you know, it, I don't even think it cracks 200. I'm, but I'm the CRV is similar similar power, right? The CRV is similar power. I think it's 190. Yeah. But the CRV is a naturally aspirated 2.4 liter four cylinder? No, I had the 1.5 liter turbo. Oh, okay. And, I was curious. Yeah. And uh, and but that's a, that's that's made it to a CVT in the in both the Rogue and the CRV have a CVT. Well, I'm messing up my acronyms here. Um, and as a result, they can get away with less power because the transmission is always seems always um, can always just find a ratio that'll allow you to get going. It just depends on how quickly it kind of engages that ratio. And that's where the Rogue kind of falls flat. It has a very um, it has a very weak engine with 170 horsepower to a 2.5 liter four cylinder, and um, it will change ratio. It'll change the, the gear ratio. It'll ramp the engine up, and then it like kind of engages the the gear. And so it's like there's definitely that rubber band effect in that car, and you don't have that happening as much in the CRV. So do you think how much do you think people care about this kind of stuff when they when they're buying these vehicles? I mean, they're entry level. Compact crossovers. No, I mean these They're, were fully loaded models. I had all the features like heated seats and heated steering wheels. But I, I, I don't okay. mean feature wise. I just mean like starting price. Oh right, sure. Um, what they so probably care about most is space, uh, fuel efficiency, and uh, reliability, as well as some of those features that make them easier to live with: um, parking assistance features, um, driver assistance features, and uh, blind spot warning warning systems, and all that jazz. Um, and the Rogue and the and the CRV come like they are so versatile and easy to live with. The Rogue has that. First of all, it has the three way split rear seats, you know, 40, 20, 40. Yeah. So it's super versatile in that sense. And then it also has like a shelf in the bottom of the cargo um, area that can be used to separate your groceries or your and can be used to divide your um your, whatever you have in your tr- in your trunk, which I think is really cool, and not just one that kind of like flips up and that's it. It can actually like slide like an actual shelf, and I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I don't know if you remember, but I think the old CRV had something similar, but that that under tray um, that under tray of the cargo area could be t- taken out of the vehicle and is a table. Ah, picnic table that? or something. Did you know that the CRV used to offer a shower? <laughs> no, it didn't. Yeah, in 2002, you could get a shower. It was like a, it was a, a like a tank, a plastic tank, and a hose, and it had a, a 12 volt connector, mm-hmm. and it was in the accessories uh, or options catalog for the CRV. And you would plug it in, and it was to wash off muddy boots. That's what the catalog <laughs> said, which I think is hilarious. But what you could actually do, which is more fun, is like. Let's say you like you have some friends who are into the whole hashtag van life craze, right. and you want to shame them. Is you just pop a tailgate on the CRV and you put the the shower, balance it on top of the tailgate, and bam, 
full-size shower wherever you want to be. <laughs> yeah, Vannon, you, you've shown that to shame with the, the CRV. Um, <laughs> not only that, the CRV pretty much won it for me, and this is a car that um, it got like pretty, pretty heavily refreshed, I think, last year, and still stands the, the test of time against two all-new vehicles from, from Volkswagen and Chevrolet, um, and is a great great value purchase it's the most affordable one it's the best on gas getting almost 30 miles per gallon combined um and it has so much space in the rear seats that my my colleagues thought that i had like gamed the system and moved the seat, the front seats forward <laughs> like it was insane well i i i you know the crv is a vehicle that i often recommend mm-hmm. it's it's like the rav4 uh, they're not interesting to drive but they're good at what they do and that's the like as you mentioned earlier people are looking for space fuel economy and something that's easy to live with and those are those are the important things that these vehicles get right if i have to if i have to complain about that car it would be that occasionally it can get kind of loud um wind noise tire noise and uh engine noise can all creep into the cabin um regularly and it's a little boring and i know that, that that's that's a really silly thing to complain about in this market segment because you know all the cars are nothing really exciting but um it doesn't do anything to really wow or surprise you um, much like the Rogue did with that really funky seating position, those rear, the rear cargo area, for example. So that's just a, it's a small complaint, but you know I think it's worth mentioning. What so else do we have? We have one more thing to talk about, don't we? That's true. That's true. So in addition to uh, the hybrid Lexus, I, I drove another hybrid Toyota this mm-hmm. recently, and as by recently I mean this week, right now uh, in my driveway, sitting there, and that's the Prius Prime. Okay, the Prius Prime is the replacement for the Prius plug-in or the PHEV. Yeah, it's the plug-in version of the of the Prius. This this is the first of the current generation Prius I've driven. Period. Okay. So I was very curious about the car. You know, I see I've seen them out on the road. From behind, they're hideous. Mm-hmm. From the front, they're not bad looking. Uh, it's, it's it's a weird design. You know how I was talking about Lexus taking a risk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, uh, Toyota took a risk with the Prius, and it didn't. I don't think it landed as well. But like you said, time will tell, so who knows. But uh, the car drives fairly well. Um, Like most hybrid cars, I'm sorry, like most Prius models, it's got the center uh, drive display where everything's like down the middle of the car. So Mm -hmm. it's it's disconcerting to get in the car in the middle of the night and hit the on button. And (laughs) all of a sudden, there's just nothing in front of you. Like, it's still black. That's kind of weird. Right. Um, It has a huge – have you driven the car, Sammy? I haven't driven the Prius Prime, but I've driven the regular non the non Prime, the <laughs> the even the, I don't know <laughs> the Pri- Prius Integer. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's got a, like a big um, Tesla like taller than it is wide screen. Right. But what's weird is you can't really do a lot with it. It's yeah. still it's still kind of hamstrung by the end tune mentality. It's, it, which which tune is, is actually a little bit better than the Lexus. Uh, oh, 100% better because Lexus it doesn't have that horrendous controller. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still, it's, it's it's got a big map on it at all times that you're kind of looking. My car had navigation. It's this big map you're looking at at all times. And there's, there like, to try and pair the phone, it was a hassle. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, like, y- you can't have certain things on the screen at the same time with each other. The the main menu system only has three options, and then you get into those those options. There's a whole bunch of sub-options. So <laughs> it, it, the, there, there's no dial for the radio. If, if you want to change radio stations, you have to tap the screen a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. It's stuff like that. It's like they had all this space, 
and they kind of it was kind of like oh gee whiz this is really cool to look at and they didn't really think about ergonomics the amount of times i had to look away from the road to look at that screen or to look at the steering wheel to find a button I've lost count. I'm very surprised because I don't normally keep track of that kind of thing, mm-hmm. but it was so apparent in this car, and it was just always on my mind. I have a couple of things to ask you um, in regards to the trim of the vehicle. Did your vehicle have the white plastic trim going on in the center console? Uh, I don't think so, no. Okay, mine had this really tacky-looking, like, glossy white plastic that I was ass- I was sure was going to get dirty within, like, minutes. Um, and as well, this glossy plastic, I could have imagined it would have gotten really cold and you probably wouldn't want to touch anything or, or put anything in there, um, in the winter. Um, but speaking about the winter time, how was your range in during this season? It's really hard to tell. Okay. I, I only plugged the car in once because I don't have an exterior plug, so I have to run it under my garage door mm-hmm. and I wanted it to be warm enough for me to do that because I didn't want to chill the tires on the Datsun while that was happening. Okay. And well, the, the, the rubber compound cracks at lower temperatures, so Eesh. didn't want to run the risk. But uh, it you know, I, I drove around for a couple of days without activating the gas engine. Okay. I, I haven't been driving the car extensively, and it's mostly been city, which is you know to the advantage of a hybrid system. Mm-hmm. Um, that was another thing that I found really difficult. So there's there's a couple of there's more than one screen. You have that big screen, and there's a screen perched above it, and there's mm-hmm. another screen beside that. And there's parts of the car I can't figure out how to access. Like I can't figure out how to reset certain parts of the the system that's tracking my hybrid use. <laughs> it's really complicated to find out how you've been doing with the hybrid part of the car over time. It's it's just not an obvious system to get through. Maybe if I had the car for six months, I'd get more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. But it's intimidating to get to get through all of these these menus. It's it's like I just wanna I just wanna drive and I wanna I wanna be rewarded for being green and like there's no leaves growing or flowers blossoming and it's harder <laughs> for me to know how I'm helping the planet. You know? So do you want one of those features that like those gim- what I used to call gimmicky features when they're just showing you all this these animations to be like you're making the world a better place for driving. Well, maybe I don't know if I want it, but now that it's gone, maybe I, I I've been conditioned to need it. You know? like, I don't think that's good. I don't. It's just how it is. Okay, and so now this is your your first um, foray into the new world of Priuses, and it comes with a new platform, the TNGA platform, um, which is which surprised me because when I drove it, I realized that the car actually has quite a bit of responsiveness to it. And oh, I was yeah, wondering if you felt the same way. No, it drives fine. It is really not. It's, Isn't that it's, crazy? Well, it's, they've had long enough to perfect it. So it doesn't surprise me that Toyota's gotten their flagship hybrid, right? Uh, <laughs> one of the things that does surprise me though is how big that back seat is. It's huge. <laughs> and then you compare it to the hatch and there's not a lot of space, man, with that extra battery, which I assume is for the plug-in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the load floor is super high mm-hmm. and uh, that was disappointing. I mean, so good back seat, not great cargo area. Um, no, I, I mean, I was, I, the, 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 the story that I took away from the Prius was, holy cow, this drives surprisingly well. Um, and that was not, not an element that the Prius typically had in the past. Like No. Well, I mean, the V was the Prius V was too heavy for its engine. Mm-hmm. And the C was kind of, it was fine, but it was not inspiring. Yeah. This car feels like an everyday car, which is what you want, I Isn't think. Isn't that awesome? I think that's great. Um, do you know how much your car, your car costs? Absolutely no idea. Okay, you haven't, done, you haven't checked that out yet. Um, would you recommend, who would you recommend this car to though? Um, well, if you're an existing Prius owner and you upgrade to this, you're going to be happy. Okay. And there's a lot of existing Prius owners out there. It's, 
it's harder to recommend it to people who have other types of hybrids because this is so out there in terms of its styling that right. you really have to be okay with that, I think. It's not like, you know, a Kia Nero or the... the uh, uh, the, I was going to ask you. The Hyundai the recent, uh, Ionic, right? Yeah, it's not like the Ionic. Those, those cars, they don't flaunt their hybrid status, mm -hmm. whereas the Prius does, which is fine. I don't have a problem with that, but this car is... It, it looks like you're driving the future, so, <laughs> you know... It, it, Okay, if that's what you want, it's it's got the equivalent of the nineteen the early sixties and late fifties tail fins on it for the right. for the tail light treatment, and it's it's in your face. So uh, what would you do if instead of a if instead of a screen that showed you you know blossoming uh, flowers or or butterflies or whatever there was fins there was like on a the... tiny needle that jabbed my my <laughs> no, my leg no, on the like outside when... <laughs> on the outside. <laughs> sure idea and it's like it's it's a tiny needle and it, it's it's one there's two needles okay yeah the first needle is filled with synthetic adrenaline the second needle is a horse tranquilizer right and the car keeps me in balance it knows like there's an electrode somewhere on my body and it knows whether i'm going like too close to exciting driving and too far away from boring driving and it tries to keep me right in the middle and it just keeps you okay so but you gotta make sure both of those needles are full because if it's just one of the needles that's full someone's gonna die <laughs> all right i was gonna say that there should be more of an external factor when you're trying to determine how fuel efficient the car is driving you you mentioned the fins from the um from the early uh, 60s or and and 50s imagine this car like as it got more fuel efficient it had like a little like some, like some part of it start going more green or something and people were like oh that guy's saving the environment thanks I have, to him i have yeah, i actually have two two responses to that <laughs> idea the first is there's already a system on the exterior of the car that tells you if you're driving too ecologically friendly and it's called someone else's horn <laughs> And they're the people behind you who are letting you know to stop hypermiling immediately. Right. But the other thing is, wouldn't it be cool if when you reached a certain milestone of, of green driving, like the car actually physically birthed a new life form onto the highway? Like, I don't know if it's like a squid or like a plant or something. And it yeah. just like comes out and there's like a sack and the sack opens and it's wet. And it's like aliens where it's like... Rah! And then like Aww. everyone's just like, wow, that guy is so efficient. Do you know how do you know how efficient you have to be to access new life form mode in the Prius Prime? I like the idea of it flinging a plant out and, and being I like, would give up yeah, I would give up trunk space if there was like an amniotic chamber that needed to be installed in the car. <laughs> and you just fill it with DEF fluid, like somehow that's life sustaining. <laughs> right. <laughs> Diesel exhaust. Yeah, that'll be yeah, that. it's cheap. You get it at the truck stop, and it it supports the it supports the thing that came out of your Prius. <laughs> okay, but don't look at it. Like, don't look at it in the mirror because then it will imprint on you, and then you're its mother, father, thing, whatever. Yeah, and it will follow you home. And let it no find its yeah. Let it find its own way. It'll it'll be the sphere. That's how this is. It sounds like the start of a great X Files. I'll tell it's you that. It's the Jeff Goldblum Chaos Edition, yeah. Chaos Theory Edition. <laughs> Nature finds a way. Prius Prime. I'm into it. We'll we'll pitch that to we'll pitch that to Toyota next yes, week because we're up. going to the LA Auto Show. Um, and right. we're hoping to do some reporting. Um, hoping from the show. to do. We're definitely going to do a special edition of the show 
Uh, we don't know if it will be as long as it normally is, but we're going to wander the floor with microphone in hand, and Sammy and I are going to tell you all about what we think about what we see. Yeah, I'm excited about that. And um, is, It's like TV with no visuals. Hmm, it's like live TV. It's like radio, I suppose. <laughs> um, is there anything that you're excited to see while you're over there? I have no idea what's coming to the show. My life is a maelstrom of chaos, and the LA Auto Show is merely an eddy in that maelstrom. Okay. What are you doing after the LA Auto Show? Well, I'm actually – I'm only at the auto show halfway through the day because I have to get onto a plane and fly to Portugal mm-hmm. where I'm going to be driving the brand-new 2018 next-generation BMW M5. Whoa. And th- yeah, and the sportier version of the i3, the i3S, which is more powerful version of the electric car we briefly mentioned earlier in the podcast. That sounds like a lot of fun. I can't wait to talk to you about all of this stuff um, in the coming weeks. So, And what where and Sammy, in addition to L.A., where, where are you headed immediately after that? Uh, I actually – we have a shoot with uh, the, the rest of the Auto Guide team. We're going to help determine our Auto Guide car of the year, and it's another – um, fun event where we get some of the new and exciting vehicles that came out this year and we try to figure out which one was the best bang for the buck. Well, that's going to be cool to talk about because I'm sure you're going to have a lot of, you know, impressions to reinforce what you already have in your mind <laughs> as your favorite cars for this year. Uh, and then we can probably talk about that on some kind of year end wrap up show mm-hmm. where we talk about. 2017 and everything that it has brought into our lives i think that's a good idea maybe we should we'll definitely do something special for the listeners um of the podcast and yes no go on and i was gonna say if you're a first-time listener why not uh check out the backlog of all of our 47 other episodes that we've published to date um, you can do that at our website, that's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, or at your favorite podcast app, like, say, iTunes or Google Play Music. Uh, or CastBox or Stitcher, I think we're on there. We're on a whole bunch of them. Just just type in the www.clickety-clickin-w-unnamedautomotivepodcast, <laughs> and bam! Nailed it! Podcast on your phone, on your PC, <laughs> on a special analog audio cassette secret version of one of the podcasts. Podcast that mm-hmm. will never tell you which one. You gotta is find out it there. If you find it in the geocache where it's hiding, then you can be the only person to own that special edition podcast. Uh, in addition to finding our podcast, you can probably get in touch for hints on to where we threw it, uh, out of, where where it was birthed out of the Prius, uh, <laughs> which bushes it's hiding in. Um, you can. Contact us on Twitter. I I would appreciate that. I'm at Sammy. That's S-A-M-I underscore ha. Like you're laughing and you've heard me laugh several times at Ben's zany ideas. Sammy is Twitter lonely, so hit him up. Yeah. Um, Slide into those DMs, I suppose. Uh, Mm. Or you can find Ben at Hunting Benjamin. um, And he's... He's less lonely than I am, but he'll he'll and, definitely respond to you. <laughs> and I, if you want to see pictures of what we're doing and what we're driving, you can go to the Facebook page, the Unnamed Automotive Podcast Facebook page. Just type it into Facebook and it's there. We also have pictures and links to reviews that we've written or features that we've written on these cars at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. But in real time, my Twitter feed, Sammy's Twitter feed, and my Instagram feed, which is also at Hunting Benjamin, has these pictures as they're happening. You can check out our stories there. It's just another way to add kind of a dimension to the voices that you're hearing. Don't worry. There's no selfies. You'll never know what we look like. You will never break the fourth wall, and everything will stay cool between us. Yeah. Uh, I think we've done enough plugging of the podcast, so I'm going to finish it up by saying saying thank you for listening and we'll hear from you next week at the LA Auto Show. Bye. Bye, everybody.